Uh, I don't know if any of you have uh, already voted in advanced polls. People are trying to push to get people to vote in advanced polls. I haven't voted yet because I haven't made up my mind. Um, I don't know if uh, anyone else is in that vote. Uh, I, I'm, not gonna, I'm not really going to talk about the election much, don't worry. Um, it's not something I do normally, but it, uh, I, I did want to bring it up just because of this idea that for me, and I've talked to others as well, um, the choice between particularly leaders, I, I don't find much choice. Um, and so I'm not trying to, like I'm still going to go vote, I'm going to make up my mind by Tuesday, and I think it's important to do that. But I kind of think, well, okay, whoever's, whoever ends up being the leader and the Premier of Manitoba, I don't know if it's really going to matter in the end. Uh, that's kind of uh, how, that's my view. You don't have to agree with you. You might be a big supporter of, of either of them or, or all three of them. Um, you get bonus points if you can tell me the name of the leader of the Green Party, for instance, but uh, some of you will know for sure. Um, yeah, there you go, bonus points. Um, the thing is, I also think that not just in this election in Manitoba, but in lots of our elections and lots of our governments, we're often not used to our leaders necessarily making a massive difference. I don't know if you feel that way. But sometimes, you know, an election comes up and you think, oh, great, we're going to elect Justin Trudeau and it's going to be so much different than when Harper was in. Well, yeah, okay, it's different, but there's good and bad things that are, that are about each of them, right? So it doesn't make a massive difference to my life. When I wake up on Wednesday morning and we, whichever premiere it has, is my life going to be that different? Um, I don't know. Now, right now, Greg Selinger is the Premier of Manitoba. Um, but as I think about it, I think, well, he's the Premier of Manitoba, but is he, do, would I say he's my Premier? I guess he is. Kind of like the Queen of England. She's the Queen of England and the Queen of Canada. Is she my Queen? Technically, I'm one of her subjects. We all are. The psalm today starts this way. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my leader. And it makes a big difference. Right? It's not the Lord is a shepherd or like a shepherd. My is a really important word in that first verse. And we're not used to that with our leaders. And often we're not even used to that with our God. We'll say, the Lord is God. Jesus is God. Jesus is Christ. But that word my is really important. The Lord is my shepherd. And here the result. The Lord is my shepherd. When the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Which has a, a double or maybe triple or quadruple meaning. Um, but if you just think of two of the meanings of I shall not want, it has the meaning of, of, of I'll be provided for, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to have any need, but it also has the meaning of I, I'm not going to want anymore. So even if it seems as though I do not have what I need, I still, because the Lord is my shepherd, I'm not in want. It's quite an interesting phrase, isn't it? The Lord is my shepherd, and because of that, I shall not want and then what happens? He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. I love the word make 
in this as well, right? It's not he allows me to go and find a green pasture and lie down. It's he makes me lie down in green pastures. It almost sounds like it's against my will. At least some of the time it is against my will. It, it makes me think of um, when kids want to stay up late and uh, not go to bed. And the parents make them go to bed because they know it's good for them to go to bed. Or when we don't want to eat our vegetables and we get made to eat our vegetables, the Lord makes me lie down in green pastures. We might be hectic and busy, but he's trying to make us take the rest that he knows we need. It's interesting, isn't it? He leadeth me beside the still waters. And still waters, is it kind of sounds nice, but really what it means is waters of a resting place. So it's still that connotation of rest. It's not just that it's a nice uh, still lake. That might be true, but it's trying to have this connotation of rest. He restores my soul, and he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. This sounds awesome, doesn't it? Doesn't this sound good? It sounds great. The Lord's my shepherd, and all these, all these great things just flow out of that. I'll have no want. He'll make me lie down in green pastures. He'll restore my soul, lead me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And then verse 4 Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. What happened? What happened there? Now, the Lord is my shepherd, so what am I? I'm a sheep. Right? So the sheep is following the shepherd. Now, if, if God is leading, if God is the shepherd, if Jesus is the shepherd, if we are the sheep, if God is leading, what on earth is the sheep doing in the valley of the shadow of death? That shouldn't happen. If God is leading, what is the sheep doing in the presence of enemies? Verse 5, right? It says, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Shouldn't it just say, you know, if there's any enemies, you just destroy them? Or pull me out of there? No, no, no. In the presence of, you feed me, prepare a table for me. Shouldn't it be if God is leading, we look down on the valley of the shadow of death and we laugh at it because we never have to go there? But no, that's not what it says. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You are with me. See, we're on a journey in our faith. We're always on this journey. And when you look at journeys or quests uh, in literature, almost always the hero knows that they are on a quest. So my favorite one is in The Lord of the Rings, Frodo. He knows he's on a quest, and he knows what the quest is. There's a ring of power, and he for whatever reason, has been chosen as the one that has to get it destroyed. And the way to destroy it is to drop it uh, into that lava stuff at Mount Doom. And, uh, and there's a very specific path that he has to follow. And they go off course every now and again. But they know the quest is get the ring to the mountain, drop it in the lava, and then we've won. And there's a whole story, and it's a great story. But what's interesting, if you look in the Bible, biblical heroes quite often have no idea 
what quest they're on. Biblical heroes, what they get is they get an early promise, and then they got a whole lot of wandering around. And in the midst of the wandering, they get another promise from God that he'll always be with them in the wandering. See, the way God leads a hero to their destination or to their goal is to just promise, well, there's the destination, and I'll show you the next step or two, and it's going to feel like we're lost in the desert, but I'm with you. He promises his presence on the journey. He asks of us faith. He asks of us to trust him, and he promises us his faithfulness to us. I mean, think of some of the biblical heroes. Abraham is told, go, and I'll show you the country that I'm giving you. Is there a specific direction you'd like me to go, Lord? Um, you know, so off he goes. And he sees the country that God's giving, and God tells him this is the country, and then almost immediately he has to go down to Egypt. So he doesn't even get to stay there. And he wanders around like this for years and years and years. Joseph, biblical hero Joseph, has these dreams that show him the future of what is going to be between him and his brothers, and then he gets sold into slavery and then thrown in jail, and for years and years and years he's sitting there before his dreams finally come to pass. And then the classic story, because it is a story basically of wandering in the wilderness, there's a promised land, everybody. There's slaves in Egypt, and there's a promised land, and Moses comes, set my people free, and we're going to walk to the promised land, and they get into the wilderness, and what should have been you know, a few months' journey was 40 years. And they wandered around. But even the disciples with Jesus, Jesus comes to them and says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I wonder what they were thinking when they started following him. Oh, okay. What's, okay, give us the first lesson, Jesus. And then for a year or three years, they wandered around and met people, talked to them. Are we getting anywhere? Until finally, Jesus says, yes, we're getting somewhere. Look where we're getting. We're getting to the cross. I'm going to die. You're all invited to come die with me. Well, that's really compelling, Jesus. See, God works in a totally different way than what we want him to work when we're trying to trust in him and follow him. When the shepherd is leading, and we end up sometimes going through the valley of the shadow of death. And we will ask questions like this when we are given a promise or we're given a glimpse into the journey and where it might go. We'll ask something like, well, how long is that going to take? And the answer is, well, quite possibly your whole life. Or we'll ask this, well, what's the monthly time commitment? I can probably commit two hours a month. 
And the answer is, oh, no, 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 no. This is actually a reorienting of life itself. Um, it's not quite, you can't really measure it in a two or three hour time commitment. It's a, it's a reorienting of your entire life. You see, the Lord is your shepherd all the time. This, the Lord being your shepherd business, following Jesus and trusting in him, it's actually much more like when you have children. It's completely life-changing, right? It isn't the kind of thing that you can say, well, what's the monthly time commitment for this? Right? You, you can't do that. What's the monthly time commitment? Well, it's one month. You have to be on one month every month. You don't have time off. That's what this is, except with God, you know, we're the children. So he's the one who's actually made the ultimate commitment to us with unconditional love every second of the day. And our life is lived in response to him, creating us and blessing us with the life that we have. What's the path? How long will it take? What's the commitment involved? In some ways, these are actually the, kind of the wrong questions, but we ask them anyway. There's a, a total mindset shift that has to take place when following God. It, it's a long-term journey, and we cannot see the long view. Only God can see the long view. And I think through that journey, sometimes you know, into, the, into the mess of it, and sometimes despite the mess of it, God is leading through it. Psalm 66, verses 9 to 12, it talks about God bringing people through difficulty. It says, who has kept us among the living and has not let our feet slip? For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us, you brought us into the net. You laid burdens on our backs. You let people ride over our heads. And we went through fire and through water. I mean, that's interesting, isn't it? Psalm 66, it attributes all of these trials and difficulties to God. You did all of this to us. You've put us in this situation. But you know what? I, I just left off the, the, the last part of verse 12. The last part of verse 12 is this. Yet you have brought us out to a spacious place. Yet you have brought us out to a spacious place. So it requires trust, you see. Because when all the mess is going on and it feels like, oh, it's all been piling on and piling on and piling on, it... yet you've brought us out to a spacious place. We've come to the place of the still waters where you're going to make me lie down in the green pastures. See, it's a real mindset shift, isn't it? Because this trusting in God is primarily about the relationship we have with God, Right? When we treat God as simply, well, you're in control, and so if you're good and you're all-powerful and you're in control, then why don't you just make my life better? But with people we're in relationship with, we don't, we don't treat them that way. We're thankful for the people who walk next to us in the times of trial. That's who God is for us. Yes, he's all-powerful and all-loving but he can see the long path and he can see what we need. 
We have to trust in God, and that means that we've got to allow God to be God instead of us. You see, as soon as we start saying, well, God, why don't you do this? God, why don't you do that? Then we're actually putting ourselves in God's place and starting to say, well, I'm actually a better decision maker than you are. We've stopped trusting. We've got to trust that God is God, and we have to trust that God cares about us. God is love. God loves us. We've got to trust that God cares about us and that God can take care of us. You see, God is all-loving and God is all-powerful. He has the power to take care of us. We also have to trust that God is the one who decides the next move. It's not the sheep that make the decisions as to the path. It's the shepherd that makes the decisions for this sheep. It's the shepherd who leads the sheep. The shepherd decides when the sheep are going to go out and graze, when the sheep are going to go to sleep, how the sheep ought to be cared for, when it's okay to let them wander around a little bit, and when he needs to go and grab one, put it on his shoulders, and bring it back to the fold. The shepherd makes all those decisions. We don't. Do we trust God only when he's leading us beside the still waters? Or do we trust God when we're in the valley? And how long do we give God? How long do we give God to follow through on the promise that comes at the end? How long do we give him? A few days? A few weeks? Ten years? Uh, Abraham, going back to Abraham, he was first called by God to go out of his home country at age 75. It makes me wonder, what, what was God doing with Abraham for 75 years? So if we ever feel like, oh, what is God doing in my life? Well, you have to wait till you're 75, and then you're maybe okay to ask that question. If you're over 75, I'm okay with you asking that question. Because that's how long Abraham waited to even hear from, here's even what the promise is. But then, even after that, God promised Abraham that his descendants, all of his descendants, he would have so many descendants, and they would be a blessing to the whole world. And we look back, oh yeah, that came true. You know, even Jesus is descended from Abraham, and he's the true blessing, isn't he? That's how the promise gets fulfilled. Now, already he's at age 75, so I mean, it seems a bit crazy to think that this is going to even happen, because at age 75, he had no children. So your descendants are going to be a blessing to the whole world, and you've got no kids. And so him and Sarah wait and start waiting, him and his wife are waiting to see if this blessing this is going to come true, and there's no child coming. And so they take matters into their own hands and uh, say, well, maybe Abraham should just try and have a child by Sarah's servant, Hagar. We'll do that. And Sarah agrees with the, with the plan, so, so they do that. And uh, they have a child. So great. Good. But God says, actually, no, that's not the child that the promise is going to be fulfilled through. You're going to have another child. The child's going to be Sarah's child. Oh. And they wait, and they wait, and they wait. So the first call was at age 75. And then when Abraham is 99 years old, and Sarah was 90, God says, now I'm ready to do the promise. And Sarah, like many of you just now, laughs. And Isaac was born just after Abraham turned 100 years old. So how long do we want to give God? 
to lead us through the valley or through the desert? Six months? 40 years? 75 years? See, it's actually the wrong question, isn't it? It's the wrong question. The question is, do we trust him? The question is, do we really trust him? Do we really have faith in God? Because when we do, regardless of the circumstances, then we can claim verse 6 of the 23rd Psalm. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.